You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. Yeah, you know what it's like when I'm um, getting up in the morning trying to figure out what I go, got going on, and I realize, man, I got a guest today. How cool is that? And it's always cool to talk to all different people from all aspects of life. And uh, I guess one of the fun, one of the great things I enjoyed is having uh, guys that are in the uh, entertainment industry, you know. And today I got a good friend of mine, Kenny Smith, here. What's up, Kenny? How you doing, my brother? I'm doing good this morning. How you doing? So, question: Born and raised in Cali or now? DC. DC. Yeah. Nice. How long you been in DC? You grew up in DC. I was there until I was 18, then I went off to college in Virginia. Nice. Yeah. Hampton University. Uh, shout out to Hampton University. I actually remember uh, in West Virginia, uh, I went to school in uh, Towson, Maryland. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, so we went to WVU uh, all the time to go to fraternity parties and shit. It was fucking crazy back then, going to school in that area. Being, I grew up in New York, so growing up in the East Coast, coming out to the West Coast, completely different, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. It took me about, <laughs> a, I think, two years to adjust to it. Two years? Yeah. When did you come out here? How old were you? I was 21. All right, so 21, yeah, coming sure. out to Cali, yeah. fresh from East Coast, yeah. which is a way different life. What was it like? Uh, it was different. One, it was uh, job interviews. You didn't wear a shirt and tie. <laughs> that yeah. was the first thing I noticed. It was real. It was more laid back. Way different, right? Yeah. And can we talk, can we, can we date? Can we go back to what year that yeah, was? Yeah, it was 95. All right, so 95, cruising out. Coming out, and uh, what kind of jobs were you were you doing or working on? Uh, when I got out, uh, I had a couple people that I stayed with. And I had a professor at Hampton who said, you know, when you go out to L.A., these are the people you call. They'll take care of you, some alumni, and I came and stayed with them for a couple weeks. And then one of them told me about CBS okay. in the city. Okay. They said, oh, you know, you can get a job there. They always have a big turnover. They're always looking for pages. So that was my first job. I so think. when you were going to school, you were going for writing? Television, radio. I didn't decide on writing. Okay, okay. Like right at the end, that uh, last semester, I said, <laughs> maybe writing. Okay, okay. So what stuff did you do in school? Let's, like, talk about that. Like, what kind of, pro like shows or did you do any plays or like any kind of stuff like that or, or no i started off as a computer science major freshman year uh and then right towards the end i was like oh, i don't want to do that for the rest of my life i don't want to sit in front of a computer screen i want to have fun of course a, i was a huge fan of tv so i switched to uh television radio but TV. you're a tech person you enjoyed the technology you and i come from the era when it was like atari you know, yeah. ColecoVision, like all that type of stuff before anybody even had phones, page like pagers, all that shit growing up at that time. Time is way different, you know? Yeah. Life was different generally, right? Yeah. So much about life, right? Yeah, I, and I, I'm always a fan of tech. I, I even watch uh, ABC News in the morning, the 5 a.m. show, because they do the tech reports. Oh, that's just, cool. Just so I can see what's going on. <laughs> uh, so in school, it was just uh, production classes. Um, I'll take production ethics, uh, radio, how to edit for radio, uh, nice. a lot of news classes because Hampton was really geared towards the news because they felt that was the way for the industry. And back then, radio was super strong. It wasn't like we had oh, yeah. XM satellites or this, and, you know, no. things are way different. Plus, uh, what's funny is a lot of the millennials and younger people don't realize because they're used to XM and used to different things mm -hmm. now as a way of music being where they're programmed where this is the hip-hop channel. This is the classic <laughs> this. This is this. When we listened to radio back then, it was like you hear metal, this, 
you know, Cindy Lauper, then Metallica, then Run DMC, then this. Like, you'd hear all these different genres of music on the radio, and now that's, like, foreign to people. Yeah, and you'd have time slots. This would be the hip-hop <laughs> hours in the afternoon, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and so I, I also worked, I think I spent a summer uh, working at the radio station in Hampton as well. Oh, really? I, I didn't know what I wanted to do yet, so I kind of was just... Kind of going around, around, figuring out, learning the boards. Learning the, but that's always good, though, because you had a full kind of idea before you jumped into what it was that you wanted to really do, right? Yeah. So you get out to L.A., mm -hmm. you hook up with people. They say go to CBS. What goes down? I worked out as a page. I was there for four weeks. Uh, I would help write the, I would write labels for the Price is Right contestants. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> <laughs> That's killer. I would sit in the Young and Restless booth and answer the phones for uh Oh, wow. The actors there, was, call. there was a Young and Restless booth? Explain that to me. Like, uh, what does that mean? The booth is with the director <laughs> and the camera operator, the person who gives instructions to the camera operator. And, okay. Uh, the lighting cues, they they all sit in this booth, and then the oh. actors would call up to say, hey, what scene are they on? And I had to sit there for eight hours, wait for a light to go on in the corner to say the phone is ringing. And then answer and say they're on scene such and such. Holy shit. It was an awful experience to sit here and wait for this light to go on the whole day. Just all, that was the whole did job. It, did it pay okay, though, for the time period? No. Okay. It was bare minimum. <laughs> so I did that for four weeks. But while I was there, uh, actually, I came out this month before, or two months before. Okay. Uh, because I wrote a couple of Seinfeld scripts for my senior thesis. And so while I was preparing for my defense, I ended up calling around and getting in touch with someone who worked on the show. Oh, and okay. I called after graduation and said, hey, can I come out and visit and just see what you guys do? And they said, sure. Because the woman I spoke to, her sister had actually gone to Hampton. Oh, that's and cool. so I came out and spent working, a week. Working all the collegiate angles you possibly could right there. It was just lucky chance. <laughs> So I spent a week on the set of Seinfeld and a day on uh, the set of Larry Sanders show, which was an HBO comedy show back in the oh, day. Oh, I remember both those. So how was it? How was was were you going there when it was in the mid of its craziness? Yes. Okay, so yeah. when they're a full on like ego and they are fucking the kings of the television essentially, right? They were all great. Everyone was but so cool, right? Yeah, that's everyone good. was so nice to me. Yeah, <laughs> they good. were just like, Oh, welcome to the show. I found out uh while I was there, that they had students come out and visit the show before, but they'd never had a black student come out. Oh, wow. And so okay. everyone knew who I was by the end of that week. And That's then funny. when I came back and I was working at CBS Radford. And how was that going as? The experience? Just being like from a cultural black perspective going on to a TV show that was very white casted essentially, right? Yeah, it was it was fine. Everyone was just nice. But in your head, in my head, did you have any something about like, oh, these crazy no. Hollywood white people, this whole fucking life here, like this is just so fucking nuts. I mean, think about what you got to jump in and to see, you know? It, it you know what? <laughs> I think I was prepared in high school because in high school they sent me to a predominantly white high school in, in Maryland. Okay. Because they, I went to all black elementary, junior see, high. See, that's where I started so thinking about. Yeah, that's they what I was said, saying. Do you you need to go this? here to experience that lifestyle. Sure, that sure. it's not going to be all black all sure. the time. <laughs> yeah. And so going there didn't wasn't culture shock. It was no, like no, yeah. But again, just curious because yeah. again, East Coast, you're coming out to LA. Mm -hmm. I'm not just saying it from a black perspective, yeah. but an East Coast person coming out to seeing how work and life and Hollywood is, and you get to jump into one of like the craziest, most renowned TV shows on the planet at that time, 
it had to be crazy just be like, what the fuck? How am I on here? Where am I doing on the West Coast? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it, it wasn't because at the time it was, I was still young and didn't, didn't have any boundaries or rules. I didn't know about rules and boundaries at that point. Okay. I think that's what made okay. me do the things I did because now I would say, oh, you can't do that. What, am I, <laughs> what, 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 what are you talking about? You can't just call and say, hey, can I come spend a week on the set? At, then I just didn't care. The second to last day they were shooting on New York Street, Larry David and everybody was out there, and then Gary Shandlin came over to talk to him. So once they were done talking, I went over to Gary Shandling and said, hey, you know, I went onto your set the other day. It was closed, but I got to see, you know, some of the sets, and I was, had some questions. I would not have had that fearlessness now. No, then it was, no. I just, hey, I'm here. Why, no, why not ask? No. I think it was the, the inexperience of youth. Sure. And also it was the um, newness of Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. As well, because right, because that can't happen these days. I mean, you work. We'll get to what you do mm -hmm. now and stuff, but a lot more difficult to roll out to sets <laughs> and do shit like that since nine eleven. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so you go and you do that, and then what happens from there? Uh, that's when I flew back out immediately and ended up getting a job at CBS. And then I ended, I called the line producer over at uh, Seinfeld and said, "Hey, I'm back. I'm looking for a job. Is there anything you you know you might know?" And so. Her husband was a producer as well, and she, and he worked at Martin as okay. Martin's producer. So okay. he, she said, they're looking for somebody over there. Just go over there and meet. I'll get you an interview. And I went over and met, and I met with Martin's brother, who was a producer as well. Nice. And uh, and they're from Maryland. Oh, and so, oh so now super tired. Yeah, now it's like really cool. They're like, yeah. Yeah, so the next day... Let's talk about that Old Bay seasoning and the fucking barrel, <laughs> barrels of crabs to get some fucking beer out, right? Yeah. It, Landover Mall was like the mall that they grew up near, <laughs> which was like, you know, the big mall for us in D.C. And so... That's uh, funny. Is that the one that's the underground, too, or the one that goes, like, underground for miles and shit? Oh, no, that's, no, that's probably, like, Union Station uh, or, yeah. or out in Pentagon. Sure, sure. Landover was, like, way out in Way out, okay. Uh, but uh, I met with him, and then that... The day I started on Martin, he called me in. And he was like, hey, you've only been in L.A. six weeks. Nobody, nobody wanted to hire you, but you're from back home, so I'm going to give you a shot. And so uh, I ended up working there for a few months. That's cool. And what did you do there? I was a PA. Nice. Uh, so I would go deliver scripts at night. I would uh, get food for the writers. Sure, sure. All the, you know, pickups, uh, tapes from the post houses. Nice. Uh -huh. It was Grunt work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I loved full, it. Yeah. I loved I it. I could imagine. I mean, it was still, it was Martin. So. I know, right? And he, was he pretty cool back then? Oh, that was great. His family he, was great to me. Uh, that's he wild. He was great. I always, I always think about when he had that show and, like, uh, he when he did that stupid thing, he was, like, going, running around, running outside, exercising with, oh, like, those, oh, the sweatsuit. with the sweatsuit yeah. and stuff. And he almost got, like, fucking went in the hospital, right, or something like that. I remember back when I was a kid, <laughs> like, reading, you know, reading about that shit go down. It, that's great. So you went, so then you went, you sort of Seinfeld, and now you're gone a predominantly black set, essentially. Yeah. So yeah. It was the whole feel different or not or similar? Was just the it, routine of everything the same? I mean. It wasn't predominantly black. No? It was still, I mean, it's still Hollywood. So it was, okay. uh, it was. Sure. But the cast. But the cast was black, and there were more black people working on that show than I had seen before. And I, and I think that was a part of uh, Martin's, you know, his what he pushed for to get uh, black people into the unions, That's hair, great. makeup, Hell editing. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, so people don't know those stories. No, but, but that's cool, though. Martin made sure that minorities got into unions that 
weren't as receptive sometimes sure. or didn't people didn't have connections sure. to get in. And he had he had the the clout. Yeah. That, that's what it was. And he was popping movies like a motherfucker too. Yeah. He, he was making not just TV. He was on the, it's different if you're a TV actor mm-hmm. and you try to cross to movies or you're a movie and try you know they have this like tabooness. Now I think later on now like as we got older and like cinema and technology is way different mm-hmm. th- that doesn't matter but back then it mattered, you know. Yeah. You know, that's fucking crazy. So from Martin, uh, what was what was some of the funniest things? Could you recall any kind of just like onset type story or something that you could reveal slightly about? Like, then you have to be Martin, just experience of fucking funniness or anything like, you know? Uh, not not really on set. I, I didn't spend a lot of time on set. It was mostly okay. in the office. I mean, I don't have any on story. Uh, anything crazy? No, for me it was just. There was just so much food. <laughs> That's all I Is really remember. Lots of food? There was food, okay. and for someone who was making you know, <laughs> just just enough to get by, to have all the free food that yeah, you could want, you could eat it was, all the time. It was a lot of storing up for the weekends. Oh hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah! So yeah. instead of shit get tossed, you're like, oh man, I can bring this shit home. It's oh, like yeah. the PAs. We would definitely. Did you uh, have roommates or not? No, I had a small little apartment in Studio City, <laughs> so it would be. <laughs> the Wednesday before would be stocking up a little extra, some drinks, some snacks. Nice. Uh, get it. When we'd walk through the meal line on Fridays, you get about three or four plates oh, that are taking you through the weekend. Oh, man, dude, but that's great. It was just the hustle, the hustle that, of it. That's awesome. So then what happened from there? Uh, the showrunner on that show, Bentley Kyle Evans, he ended up creating the Jamie Foxx show during that time. Okay. And so I went to him on the side and I pulled him. So I was like, yo, Bentley. Um, everybody who started at the beginning of Martin had moved up to being writers or directors or all these other positions. I was like, you know, I'm coming in at the end. I, you know, I want to be at a show at the beginning. You know, can I go with you to Jamie Foxx show? And sure. he was like, yeah. He was like, I see you hustling around here all the time. Uh, yeah, I'll give you a shot. And so I went with him. And then uh, first, and that's that's a fun. Oh my god. Oh, that was now because dude. Jamie set the tone of that show. Jamie yeah. is yeah. a partier. Oh yeah. And so and oh, he's yeah. a welcoming partier. Oh like, yeah. He wants to make sure everyone's having a good time. Yeah. So I went first season as the writer's PA, and then second season they made me a writer, but uh, had a ball. Yeah. Okay. I had a fun story. I don't know how fun it is, but I got a story, um, a Hollywood story. So uh, (laughs) we were, I was, I was a writer at that point. I was thinking my second season or so. And we had a special episode that I wrote with uh, Meth and Red were on. Oh, nice. Shout out to my boys. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. Meth and Red were there and uh, I'm not sure if I wrote it, but anyway, Meth and Red were there. And so it was Grammy week. And so we were shooting the episode and that night, Bobby and Whitney came to this table. Oh right? my God. And so it was like, oh, this is cool. This is cool. So every week after the show, Jamie would take everybody out. You could go to a party at Miyagi's, which used to be on Sunset. And, you know, they had karaoke and it'd be a ball. And I usually didn't go. And so this night they were like, no, you should come with us. You should come with us. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll come. You know? <laughs> so I go and I remember being at Miyagi's and uh, they used to have a deck where you could be outside. Do you remember Miyagi's? That one's a little okay. past me. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, I was out on the deck, and I was on the phone with someone, and uh, I remember I heard uh, karaoke every little step I take. Oh, my God. Oh, Oh, no. I was like, that's tacky. You know, Bobby and Whitney are here, and someone's playing their song, singing to it. And I was like, this guy sounds really good. He sounds just like Bobby. And so I go in, and it's Bobby Brown with the karaoke screen, reading the words, doing it for me every little step I take. And it was like, 
Oh, that's so cool. I was oh, like, oh, this is Hollywood. Man. So then. Uh, oh, man, that's wild. So then he finishes and he says, all right, baby, it's your turn. Oh. And she waves him off like, no, no, no. Oh. And he's like, nah, baby, you got to do it. And this is this is just a bar lounge. Like yeah. everyone's packed in. It's no, there's no security. There's no nothing. Oh, and my so God. she gets up and then she crosses to the center of the room. And she's about where you are. I'm a little further back. And she's like. All right, you motherfuckers. I usually get paid a million dollars for this, so you know, be thankful. And so, <laughs> oh shit, they don't even play the uh, karaoke machine. She starts singing "I Will Always Love You" a cappella, oh, and man. she destroys it. People are on the tables. People are everywhere, just trying to get close. She belts that thing out. And if you weren't a Whitney fan, you were a fan after that. Like that's a singer. Wow, like, it was. The most beautiful thing I'd ever wow. heard. And it was like, oh, I'm in Hollywood. That's right. That's tight. That is super tight. That's so uh was there any favorite okay, so writing. Let's get into that. Yeah. You were writing, then you started writing on some of the episodes, and then the second season you were a main writer or a writer or how many First writers season. are there? How does that usually work? Jamie Foxx, I can't remember, it was probably like Couple. nine or ten oh, okay. writers. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, I started season uh, two as a writer's trainee and they bumped me up to staff writer halfway through. So I was okay. at the bottom of the totem pole. Uh, now let's talk about the totem mm-hmm. pole of staff writing for those who actually are interested in becoming a writer one day because mm-hmm. we do have a lot of people that, you know, many generations that are listening to us, you know. Uh, how does the totem pole work? Uh, start off usually as a staff writer, and then it's a little different now. Back then, let's it, talk about back then for a second. Back then, yeah. you were a staff writer. You did maybe a year, and then you go next season be a story editor. Next season, you'd be exec story editor. Then you'd be a co-producer, producer, supervising producer, co-exec, and maybe you get an EP if you were you know in the business long enough or you had your own show. But those were the levels every year. Okay. Now it's rougher now because Back then, we would do 22 episodes, guaranteed. Sure. Here, in the present day, it's, you might do 10, 13 episodes of a show. It's rare that shows do that. Like, a lot of the comedies on ABC do 22, but a lot of shows don't. Okay. So if you do, let's say, 10 episodes, you don't really make enough money to make it through the whole year. So then you're scrambling for another job. Oh. And then another show may not say, they may say, you know what, we're going to make you a staff writer again, or we'll make you a story editor. So you may spend years at the same level and not moving up, making more money, getting more experience. Sure. And you you can't really get a good living out of 10 episodes or eight episodes a okay. year. Okay. And then you have like a seven month gap where you're not working. Then they're not sure. paying you. Sure, sure, And you sure, don't even know sure. if you're gonna come back to that sure. show. Oh, I got you. It's, it's wow. a harder time. Wow. <laughs> it's a harder time. Wow, wow, back wow. then we would do 22, be off for like three months and then back into it doing another 22 so sure. you knew where the checks oh, were oh wow yeah of course yeah. because and, yeah because they're doing so many episodes like you said yeah. then in each time whatever okay i got you and you also got a gang of experience i mean does it work like an actor though do you get like extra royalties after when they keep playing them on different things or how does that go down uh or you can't say no i can say it's okay it's it's the difference between then and now back then yeah you would get your uh royalties when they'd say okay it's residuals uh, this shows now. Jamie Foxx plays five days a week. I care. Yeah. Uh, and right now, it doesn't play all the time in LA, but like in DC and in New Orleans, sure. it plays five sure. days a week. Of course, on the uh, independent channels. And then you would get a check. Yeah. Right? Uh, but now the way it works, if you if you don't go five days a week and you go like to cable, like FXX or something, sure. yeah, the residuals aren't as much. 
Yeah, you know, okay, sometimes sure. it's like a hundred dollars. It's like a hundred dollars <laughs> versus, and then and then if you do just streaming, sometimes it'll be thirty dollars. Sure, where we would get full checks back then. And like what you, what would you get hypothetically back then? Like a first run, a first run. If it aired again, you might get like. 10,000. 10, yeah. And then second time, you might get 5,000. Sure. For the second and third time. And then sure, after sure. that, it'd be maybe 4,000. Sure. But that adds up if you do of like course. a few episodes. Now, yeah. that was one of the things that the writers were striking about uh, back in 2007. Okay. A lot of a lot of shows were rerunning on cable or streaming, and people were just getting $40, $50, you know, for the same work that they were doing and That's the same crazy. amount of people were watching. That's crazy. And so it was like, hey, 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 who's getting all the money now? <laughs> yeah, and who do, I mean, that just goes right to the uh, to Paramount or this or whoever may, who does it, right, or Fox or CBS. There's a, there, but even back then, it, it wasn't as much variety. So you didn't have as, you had bigger audiences back then. You have smaller audiences, but the pay, there was a loophole that got the pay cut down. Sure. And that was the big thing. Sure, sure. And so it's it was harder to it's harder to make a living now on residuals. Like a lot of shows I was on back then are five nights a week and they do well because that was in the nineties and the early two yeah. thousands. Yeah, yeah, so sure, I still sure. have that little nest egg of, of course money coming in. That's great. Because yeah. they do replace that stuff over and over and yeah. over again. <laughs> which yeah. is cool. And then what did you, so after Martin, what was the next step? Jamie Foxx, and then... Uh, J I, uh, Jamie Foxx, right? finished Jamie Foxx. Now, let's talk about for... Did you do something with the Waynans or something like that? Or, or he, were they part of uh, Damon Waynan and all those guys? The Waynans, uh, the Wayans show back then? No, but I worked on Marlon uh, two seasons ago. Oh, okay. He had the show on NBC. Okay. I worked those, on there. Those guys I love, man. I, from way back in the day, all mm -hmm. the different fucking... Uh, what was that in Living Color? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was one of the ultimate, ultimate like fucking shows back in the day for sure. So, let, what's the next step after that? After Jamie Foxx, uh, I ended up, I got a couple offers for shows, but I had some friends from Jamie Foxx that went on a show called One on One with uh, Flex Alexander and Kyla Pratt that was at UPN. And they were like, oh, Kenny, you got to come here. This is, we're going to have fun. Remember how fun Jamie Foxx was? We'll have fun over here. And so I went with them and uh, ended up working on that show for three years. That's where I really learned my craft. We had a showrunner, Yonetta T. Boone, who <laughs> was from D.C. And her sister and my sister were in school together in class. We all went to the same school. And so I kind of knew her sister, but I didn't know Yonetta because she was older. Okay. And so that was one of the reasons I got that job as well. Okay. And Yonetta uh, just was open to anything. If if I if I asked to go to editing with her, she was like, "Yes, come, come learn this." If I wanted to go to sound mix, she was like, "Come, come." Oh, learn. okay. So anything I asked to learn, she was like, "Come on, you can do this." And that's where I really got my bones as a producer. Hell yeah, that's cool. So you got the more full roundedness. Yeah, yeah. In, in and is it easier to get credit to be a producer when you have all those things under the belt? Essentially, do you get credit for that type of stuff, or how does that even work? You already get. You already get. The label of producer but it just depends on the show you are on how much responsibility you get sure and so for me that show the responsibility i got from that show i just asked for it okay you know i was i was definitely a lower level producer there were producers higher than me oh yeah sure i would stay late and come early to do anything i could to learn more because i got you what how some some writers see themselves as artists 
you know? <laughs> okay. And, and I see myself I, somewhat, I understand that. somewhat as an artist, but yeah. I see myself more as a, uh, as a worker, like sure. it's a job. Sure, so sure. I'm going to do everything I can to uh, be the best at this job and learn everything I can because I want to keep working. I got and you. And so that has helped me uh, hone my craft and also more appealing to showrunners. When they're looking for for writers to be on their show, sure. they'll call and be like, oh, Kenny, he'll, he'll work hard. Yeah, you want to hire him. Oh, so yeah, the recommendations yeah, yeah. are all there. Oh, I got it's, you. A lot of people just come in for the artistry and that, and to me... Oh, I understand. It's... Uh, I want to stack it's the not even truly even a monetary thing. There's some guys that it's just real about the prestige of the show and this and what the content and how they're shaping and molding what people see and stuff. Or And, and about getting their ideas out and their beliefs. And sure. I, I feel all of that, but I also feel like it's a job. So I'm going to be on time. Uh -huh. I'm going to be there every morning when it's time to go versus <laughs> yeah. some people will stroll in a half hour, 15 minutes late. Cause sure. it's a, sure. But I, I, <laughs> I'm, I still like to think I'm from DC and I was so far away from this Hollywood opportunity sure. that I know that uh, it's a big deal. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. yeah that's cool. Yeah. And then from there, from there, one on one, uh, I left. So I didn't want to do family shows anymore. I didn't have a family at the time. So was, you were doing all these family shows, which they were lots of family shows. Yeah, I was. I was probably twenty seven. Yeah, yeah. it's probably, probably twenty seven. Uh, I was like, oh, and I want to do something else. So I left that show and I met around on a couple shows. One was Boondocks when it was at. Uh, it was for Fox. Origi oh, originally yeah, yeah. it was for Fox. Yeah, I remember that and one. They, um, and they picked up uh, American Dad instead, so I didn't get that job. And then I was. I was about to not work first time in years, but then uh, Paramount, who did one on one, produced that show. They were like, "We liked you on one on one. You know, please, you know, we'll throw you on one of our other shows if you want to stay working with us." And I was like, "Yeah." So I worked on a show called Second Time Around with Boris uh, and Nicole Ari Parker. Uh, that did thirteen episodes and was canceled. But then the spinoff of one on one took its place like a week later. And so the producers, Yonetta and them called me from uh, 101 and said, hey, would you come over and be the head writer for this show? And uh, what was the, what was Cuts the show? was, uh, it's about a barbershop. It had. Oh, uh, okay. I think it was. Marcus Houston uh -huh. and, gosh, she was in American Pie. Oh, one of the, one of the American Pie people? <laughs> yeah, one of the American Pie That's people. Cool. I can't That's remember great. her name. Uh, nice. That's funny. I did that. We did a year and a half and then uh, that show went away. Uh, the whole network went away. <laughs> UPN went away. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to focus on features now because I've been dabbling in features over the years right, doing rewrites, uh, small jobs. And so I was just going to focus on features. But then I got a call from uh, Paramount and Marlborough Kill. They were like, oh, they're going to do this show called The Game, okay. which was going to be a spinoff of the show called Girlfriends. Okay. And so I was like, eh. and what And what is that? And explain what both were because I'm not familiar with either of those, so... Uh, Tracy Ellis Ross, who was on Blackish, okay, she was on this show called uh, Girlfriends, which would went for like 170 episodes. Get the fuck on, out, really? On UPN, okay. Um, okay. It was basically their heavy, like, the heavy hitter of UPN, or what? yeah, <laughs> it was for black women and their struggle with lives and jobs okay. and friendship. Okay, and okay. it was it was a big hit for them. Okay, and uh, the game was as a spinoff. I mean, let's be honest. You said 170. So as a writer, if you start adding up the mathematics, that that one goes up pretty good, right? It does. The more you it get does. to episode, you get to a show, the better it is then for you, essentially, right? Yes and no. Okay. In one way, it's uh, people say uh, 
there is um, people didn't respect those shows. Okay. People in the business really didn't respect those shows because they were black shows. Okay. And so it didn't matter that they did 170 episodes and made millions of dollars for whatever company they were for. They weren't respected. Wow. So uh, That's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jamie Foxx, all those one-on-one, -on -one, all those shows did like 100 episodes plus, and people d didn't respect them to say, well, you can work anywhere or, you know, we, we appreciate you. If, I would That's hear crazy. stories like... If you were a producer on that show, they may bring you as a story editor, like a second level writer on a predominantly white show. Because you're not up to par. What? That's that's just the way of the business. That's, that's the way of the that, world a little. Yeah, I know, but that just just an interesting way to look at it though. Yeah. And you had to climb through a major amount of that then essentially and learn about it when a lot of people wouldn't even have a clue. Initially first it was I wanted to be able to work on any show. And so I was like, you know, I don't want to get stuck just on black shows because I want to keep working. And sure. if there's no black show, there's no work. Um, and so I think it wasn't until about six or seven years in where I was just like, I'm not going to chase that anymore because I want to enjoy going to work. That was the whole point of me switching to TV, radio, sure, was to enjoy sure, myself. Sure, sure. So if that's the case that I don't work past this, I'd rather do that than go somewhere and be miserable because of the way I'm being treated. Yeah, yeah. And so, oh, I got you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I had absolutely. A, I knew a few black writers who were on uh, predominantly white shows, and they would just say it was miserable. They really? Were, yeah. They wow. Were, you know, a lot of racist things said Still, to them. Still, what? Yeah. From other writers in, yes. in the posse? <laughs> yes. What? Yeah. What? So, so then it just was became. There, was there any like funny reverse shit though, where you're in the black cast and there's more black writers than white writers? Or it something was like usually that? more you know? black writers than white writers, but it was never like that. All, all the shows I was on, it was always inclusive. Okay. It was like, oh no, we want different opinions and different sure, thoughts. We don't sure, want sure, everybody sure. to have the same thoughts as ours. And so it was always how do we make this better by bringing new people in and fresh voices? And it was good. Um, there was once in a while you might have one writer, white writer show up and you could feel that he felt he was slumming it by being on the show. What? So, so, so you know. Oh my God, that's crazy. <laughs> um, so anyway, the uh, wow, the game was a spinoff of Girlfriends. Oh, where the, it's guys in their lives. Yeah. Is that what it is? Or like a It was... It was, or was it more the reality? cousin of Tracy Ellis Ross. They created this character and said these were going to show about the women behind football players. Oh, okay. Behind, okay. Yeah. That's cool. Interesting. So it was a uh, mom, a wife, and a sure. girlfriend. Oh, okay. And then they had their football player husbands oh, and right. boyfriends. And so um, I went on to that show, and, you know, they, you know I'd worked with Mara for one year over at uh, – Jamie Foxx show, and so she was really cool. And so she was like, hey, do you want to do this? I was like, okay, I'll do it. And I was like, oh, I'll just do it for maybe a year, and then I'll go back and f focus on my features. And then while I was there that year, I fell in love with the show. Oh, uh, okay. And it became, and, and to Mara's credit, it became more than just the women behind the sh the, these guys. The guys and women became equal, and it started, then it became like a dramedy. Oh, and okay. then second season, third season became this serialized. Before people were binging shows, it became like this serialized dramedy okay. that was like a huge hit in the in the in the TV world, but like underground hit. Where okay. BT picked it up in our third season in syndication and was running it like eight hour blocks of the game. Oh wow! And we would get like a one point two. 1.2 million people watching on CW for new episodes. Okay. And then on BET, we'd get like a 
2.8 million oh, were wow. watching reruns. Wow. So BET was like, we want this show because CW canceled us. And they were like, no, we want this show. This is a huge <laughs> show for us. So after we were canceled. And CW was fine with pawning it off essentially or well, what? The CW was making a shift away from comedies and and their whole brand. They wanted their brand to is be Is that more. when they started getting more in the vampire and all yes. that other wild shit? Yeah, because <laughs> they got rid of us. And, and they the also, witches. Witches yes. and vampires. They went all kinds of left wing fucking crazy, right? They were like, we want the one hour young young yeah. people. And, and they, uh, they got rid of us, but they also got rid of wrestling, which was huge numbers yeah. for them. Yeah, sure. But they were like, that's not what we want in our brand anymore. I got you. And so uh, I was off for a minute, and then I, <laughs> some friends of mine were like, oh, we have this kid's show at Disney XD, Para Kings, if you want to come over here. And I was like... Yeah, I'll work on my movies. I was only going to do a couple of days a week there. I was like, sure. So I did that for like three months. And then they called and like, BET wants a show. They want you to come back. And I was like, I don't want to come back. You know, I want to focus on movies. I, I want to be, I want to uh, have a movie out there with my name on it. Now, let me ask you, when, it go, when you go from TV writer doing tons of, of you know, episodes mm -hmm. in, uh, in multiple seasons, which is many more hours than a movie, right? Mm -hmm. But then you do the giant production of what a movie is. Does the writer get paid a larger, much larger amount, or how does that really go down? No, you have to you have to build up your credits on the movie side to get those large amounts. Yeah, okay. And so um, I, I was already at a good place in TV financially, <clears throat> but I would be starting over on the movie side, and uh, I'd get a couple gigs. But and then movies, ninety to ninety five percent of movies that are that they commission you to write never get made. Oh. Most, most, like you'll go into an executive's office and you will see hundreds of scripts on their shelves. Wow. And none of those are getting made. Wow. You know, it's very few movies get made per year. Sure. So TV gives you the experience. And if I write something on sure. the show, sure, it, sure. it's going to be on the air in oh, a yeah. month. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's TV's, great. I read an article. It was a guy who made, he made millions of dollars in features over like 10 years, but he never got a movie made. And he said it crushed his spirit. I mean, the money is great, but most people who get into writing aren't doing it for the money. You're sure. doing it so yeah, you can yeah. write something I and have you. it out there. Sure, sure, so sure, sure. I know it sounds crazy to some people. I'll take a million dollars and not have it. <laughs> but that's not usually why people get into it. Yeah, of course. And so uh, I ended up uh, working on the game, and then I went to Disney XD, and, and then they called and said, look, we need you back on the game. We'd love to have you. And so I, I talked to my friends at the kids show and they were like, look, you're just here a couple of days a week. You can still work on your movie stuff. Just go, go back. Okay. And so I went back and it was the best thing I could have done. I went back and uh, we did season four. We actually shot that in Atlanta. And uh, when we premiered, like the months leading up to that premiere of the game return was like this buzz in the air of people you could kind of feel the energy and people okay. would call and say, hey, we're having a game party. We want to know if uh, what kind of jerseys, what color are the jerseys. And and it was like, huh, this feels weird. And I remember uh, talking to Salim McKeel, who was the other EP on the show. He was, I was like, I was like, Salim, it feels weird. Like people are really excited about the show coming back. And he was like, yeah. He's like, what do you think we're going to do? I said, I think we might get four or five million people watching that premiere. And he was like, you think so? I was like, it feels crazy. I feel a buzz. I felt the same buzz when Cosby show, that first Cosby sure. show was going to premiere, like months before the buzz leading up to it. Okay. And so uh, we ended up premiering that year to uh, 7.7 .7 million. Oh, my God. Which for cable, 
blows everything out the water. <laughs> we would we still hold the record for highest rated comedy in cable history. Wow, seven point seven million for that premiere. Wow, uh, just everybody came back for that show and uh, ended up doing another six seasons on that show. Wow, I got I started directing during that time. Nice. Um, I just really spread my wings and just had a ball. Okay, hell yeah. yeah. So that's that's why. What was uh, any funny or crazy stories from the game? You want to just throw one. One out there in the air that you remembered or was hilarious or just something on set? Was there any marriage proposals over the years or this or any kind of just way crazy out there, you know, cool things that went down? <laughs> crazy things. I, Nothing? Most of, most of the crazy things happened, like, during the Jamie Foxx time. Okay. Um, I think we had moments that were just, like... Who was your favorite to write for special celebrity Kobe guest? Be- oh, celebrity guest? That came on. Uh, who who's like you're like, I gotta write this dude in because he's my favorite all time motherfucker. There had to be like one time over the years where you had to like write somebody kind of in because you just wanted to meet him or not see him or whatever, you know, or no. Uh, there was, you know what? <laughs> I don't even remember her name. There was a there was a, a radio <laughs> DJ at uh, at Power 106. Okay, and I was like. She is Liz. That's okay. who it was. She was so good, and I was like, I love, I love her in the mornings. I was like, I'm gonna write her in. <laughs> so I wrote her in, and she came and she did the show. She did a great job. That's it was cool. nice. And she was very nice in, in person. Um, That's funny. Um, and I remember we had Magic Johnson on because Mar and Celine were huge fans of Magic Johnson. Okay, so that's we, cool. We wrote him. So once in a while, we'll write somebody in to say, Hey, we love this person. And we yeah. had, um, yeah. God, one of the guys from The Wire. Oh, I <laughs> yeah. That. yeah, that's yeah. cool. Hell yeah. yeah. That was a great show. It was for a small part, but it was like... No, nah, no, nah, yeah. We're, we're like, we're fans. We want him on the show. Oh, uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so we nice. do a little of that. Um, we, had, we had one moment. It's not, a, uh, it's not a salacious moment, but it's just a moment that was great. Kobe Bell, who was on Third Watch, and he was on that show Gifted, uh, he was one of our main characters. And I remember we wrote this scene where he had to... Um, uh, his wife was gonna break up with him, and and he had to you know ask her to come back, and so we wrote this almost two page monologue for him. It was long, and so it was, but she, and she wouldn't respond to any of it, and he had to play <laughs> this thing where after he would say, well I'm sorry for you know not taking out the trash, then she didn't respond. Okay, and I'm sorry that I I, uh, I I I yelled at you. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I've been such a bad like it just kept building, uh, and so. Uh, we were shooting out by the airport, this hotel, and I remember it was almost midnight. We had uh, Rob Bass on the show <laughs> doing oh, performance thing oh, for us. Uh, and that's so great. We were out there shooting, and and the hotel people came out and said, "You guys got to wrap up. You've run over. It, it's over. We got to shut this down." We were guests are complaining. They were like, "We got one more scene," and so they were like, they came and they're like, "You got one take to get this." And so Kobe Bell, we gave him two pages of dialogue. And he went in, said action, and let me say, he ran through that whole thing without making one mistake in uh, two pages. And I was just like, this guy's great. magic. That's great. That's great. Yeah. They don't have teleprompters. No. Nothing like that. You have no. to memorize your shit. No. No. That's great. So, and then there to Blackish, right? Or after the game. Oh, after the game, I finished with BET, and then I got on Uncle Buck. With Mike Epps. Oh. Yeah. That's fun. Now, he yeah. is a funny motherfucker. He is. 
He is. Now, now I haven't brought up anything because we're a cannabis lifestyle radio station, <laughs> but if someone's going to be puffing a little bit here and there, it's got to be him, huh? Um, I'm sure <laughs> he partakes. I'm, I never saw him partake. No, I know. I know I'm Mar- sure. Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. I don't think and he's Jamie, anti. maybe, for sure. It's got to maybe or nah. Jamie, I don't think so. Nah? I, you know what? Was he I very straight-edge type of dude? Straight? Uh, straight edge, you know. No, like, no, he wasn't. Um, I don't think. I think he had a bad experience when he was younger. If I uh, remember correctly, really? that's. Funny. I think when he was much younger, he had a bad experience, uh, and I, I think he, he at that up. point he was like, nah, that's <laughs> nah, that's funny. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, Uncle Buck was fun. Uh, we had a good time on that show. We only did uh, eight episodes, and then I got the call after we wrapped, like a month later, from Kenya Barris, who you know creates the ish world of blackish, grownish, and mixedish. And we worked together for seven seasons on the game. And sure. So we called and said, sure. Hey man, I heard you're free. Why don't you come <laughs> over to Blackish? And so I was like, at that point I knew it was gonna be an Emmy nominated show. The buzz was already there. And I okay. Was, he was like, Yeah, come over, you can direct, you can produce. And uh I did that for a season. I did it for season three. I left that show at the end of season three. And it had a ball while I was there. And then I wanted to just Focus on movies, developing, and TV. I know I keep going back to movies, but no, no, no. It's, it's, it's a yeah, dream. I got you. No, I got you. So uh, I did that for a year, and then during that time, they called NBC. Was like, "Hey, why don't you come be on Marlin?" Because I had a, a pilot at NBC at the time. They were like, "Why are we waiting to hear about this pilot? Why don't you come work on Marlin?" So I did that for four months, and Marlin was great. Okay. Like I had never worked with him. I just I kind of would see him around at certain things, but never worked with him. And cool he was, energy and vibe, and just the they they've been cool from out the womb. Very <laughs> cool and very <laughs> generous. Yeah, really very generous. Yeah, interesting. He would always uh, throw writers gifts. Oh, nice! You know, Hell to say yeah. thank you for uh, the work that we did. Uh, That's yeah. tight. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, he was he was he was very very nice when it came to things like that. Hell yeah, that's great. Yeah, and then. Uh, I worked at Marlin for a few months, and then they called me once we wrapped the season. We're like, "Hey, would you come back to Blackish and run it with uh, Jonathan Groff, who had been running it with Kenya Barris before he went to Netflix?" And they were like, "Kenya's leaving. You know, want you to see if you'd run it with Jonathan." And so I said, "Yeah, hell yeah!" So yeah, nice. I, I ran it season five. Nice, nice. And then when you get to the level of, is it executive producer? Yeah, the checks get a little bit bigger. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I ran the... You get to, after all these years of fucking going through everything, you get to be to the point where, you know, you could say it ain't that fucking easy, but at least when you got there, the bump up is to, you know... Yeah, it's, I ran the game for the last five seasons of the show, and so, um, yeah, the checks the checks bumped up. <laughs> the checks bumped up, and then the directing is just like extra, and the residuals, all that sure, stuff. Sure, sure, sure. And then uh, running Blackish, ABC gave me an overall deal. So, oh, And the overall that's... deal. Okay. Yes. That is the thing that uh, you strive after twenty plus years to hopefully get. Yeah, some, some yes. Uh, some writers don't like them because when you work for a studio, that means you can only work for that studio. Sure. So they call them the golden handcuffs. You okay. get paid a lot of money, but you can't go anywhere else. And that's uh-huh. that's what goes back to my my thought of people want freedom. You don't sure. write to be hemmed in. You want freedom. Is that though like a ten twenty? Like how is it, is it literally a deep thing where you sign this thing and they're like. Ten-year contract? Or like, no, or usually two, to, and some people get four years, but okay. I had a three-year contract. Oh, sweet. But what that meant is I work for them. They put me on whatever show they want to put me on that's okay. in their family. Okay. And they pay me every week a set sure. payment. Absolutely. And, and there's no breaks. So how 
Like <laughs> on the shows, if you go down, then obviously you don't get paid for three months no, no, or six yeah, months. No, they got they, you going. They they keep you every. That's on the part where it's like, on. oh, this this is a weekly check. <laughs> it's like having a regular job. You get a weekly check, and so no. when you have that kind of security, sure. at least for three years, yeah, is a big deal when you're oh, writing. Of course, yeah. yeah, for sure, it's great. Hell yeah. Because then you can stack away for the movie. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's cool, man. Any uh, shout-outs to any friends and family out there? Uh, you know, shout-outs to all, all the exec producers that I worked for that uh, got me to where I am. You know, Kenya, Marlon Sleem, Bentley, uh, Yanetta, uh, it's just all of them. They, you know, they all kind of lifted me up anytime I wanted to do something. They were like, of course. Hell yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, anybody could actually get a uh, hold of you if they ever wanted to give a shout out or say what's up or anything of that nature. You yeah. Can, is there a, a non private Instagram or anything? Uh, yeah, Mr. <laughs> Kenny Smith uh, on Instagram, Mr. Kenny Smith on Twitter. Hell yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. And you know what it's like. End of the Hayes Radio Spotlight. We're going to take a little break. Check out all different uh, cannabis talk shows, music, and live concerts we have. Thank you so much, Kenny, for coming on Hayes Radio and uh, telling us what it's like to be a writer, producer, exec, runner, the whole deal and gamut. And those of you aspiring to get into Hollywood or anything to do with the entertainment industry, I hope this was able to uh, give you a little bit of insight that it's definitely not easy and you got to strive and you got to hustle just like anything else in life. So I'm signing off. This is Andrew Pizzacalis, Hayes Radio Spotlight. We out. Peace. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network. Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.